Let's turn to Genesis 28. That's our Old Testament text. Genesis 28. This is the Word of God. Let's give it our full attention now. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padanaram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padanaram to take himself a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Paddan Aram. Also Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nabajoth, to be his wife, in addition to the wives he had. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. He took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. And our New Testament text, John chapter 1, 43 through 51. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. 
Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to see wondrous things in your word, that you would speak, you would give us the ears to hear, to understand, to trust, to obey. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Lord's Day, we saw the astounding grace of God toward this family in Genesis chapter 27. Um, we, we saw in chapter 27 each member of the covenant family. You've got Isaac, Rebecca, and their sons Jacob and Esau. Each member of this family, they're all acting in selfishness. They're all doing what they think's right for their own agenda and their own ambitions. And they're, they're, all, they're all acting in sin. But despite it all, even in the chaos, the unraveling family that's, that's happening that, that there, uh, God is still there at work. He's, he's uh, accomplishing his purposes for them. And most striking of all, it's just, it, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's just a stunning display of God's grace. You have this moment in chapter 27 where Jacob is before his father. He's lying through his teeth. He's blaspheming God. Lying about God, he's um, he's uh, he's cheating. He's grasping at the inheritance for selfish reasons. And as he's doing that, as he's in the very act of doing that, God is blessing him. It's astounding to consider, isn't it? That he's there. He's, he, he, he is he is sinning intentionally. And in that very moment, what's God doing? He's giving him the blessing. It's just a stunning picture of the gospel, isn't it? We're not blessed because we're obedient. We're not blessed because we're good little boys and girls. We are blessed because of God. We are, we are blessed because, uh, because, uh, because, of, because of God. We are blessed by Him because of His grace, because of His love, because of His electing grace, His sovereign purpose. Every single one of us, loved ones, was exactly like Jacob in that moment when God called us out of sin and called us to himself. Um, every single one of us was just like that. It's only because of Jesus and the love of God for us in Jesus that we receive his blessing. And, and this is why the covenant that God makes with us holds because of his grace. Not because of us, but because of him. 
So that's chapter 27. Uh, that's what we saw last week. Uh, this chapter is full of, full of uh, sin and failure and disarray and chaos, but underneath it, the grace of God holding things together and the grace of God working. And now we come to chapter 28 in Genesis. And in chapter 28, we see the grace of God uh, come to the forefront, come to the surface, even with more, with more clarity and, and more, uh, more, more, uh, more, more power here. Um, as we enter chapter 28, the future of this family, Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Esau, the future of the family and the future of God's covenant from a human perspective looks still uncertain. Um, Jacob, Jacob's not married yet. Uh, there, there's not a lot of eligible women for him, right? He, he needs to marry a godly woman who's going to fear the Lord and trust the Lord. And, and uh, there, 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 there are not that many options at this point for that. Um, so the, 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 the continuance of the covenant line here, the line of promise, is up in the air. Um, and it's in danger also because Esau is furious with him. Jacob stole his birthright, and Esau wants to kill him for this. Esau is determined to do this. Um, and, and, and this is a tiny little family in the midst of this wide world around it that wants to suck it into its own ways, right? It wants it to assimilate. It doesn't want them to be holy, set apart by God. It wants them to become just like them and idolatry. And, and as we look at Jacob, the next one is supposed to carry on the covenant line, the next patriarch, there's nothing to reassure us in him that things are going to go well in the next generation as Isaac ages and is soon to die. Um, we have no reassurance at all from a human perspective that this family is going to be okay and that the covenant of God with his people is going to be okay. But we have the grace of God, don't we? Right? This is what we see, holding it all together. This, this foundation, the grace of God that will not let this family go and that will not let this promise, this covenant he's made go and won't let Jacob go. Loved ones... Um, that, that's our hope too, right? Um, families are fragile. Our church is fragile in the scheme of things. The pressures of the world are intense and our own hearts are pulled after sin and idolatry too, right? What, are we going to keep this covenant together? Are, are we going to persevere? Are we going to uh, endure in faith to the end? Are we going to uh, continue in holiness and faithfulness to the Lord as we face opposition and difficulty and temptation? Is our family going to survive to the next generation faithful to the Lord? Are, are our children going to grow up? Are our grandchildren going to grow up and be faithful to the Lord? Is our church going to last another generation? It depends on the Lord. It depends on the Lord's grace. If he's with us, the answer is yes. His covenant will continue. His grace will continue. Um, the grace of God has preserved his covenant all through redemptive history, and his grace will continue to preserve all of his people to a thousand generations. He won't let go. And that is the message of Genesis 28. Let's, let's dive in. First heading, uh, the first section of the text here is preserving the covenant, verses 1 through 9, preserving the covenant. Um, chapter 28 opens with, uh, with Isaac showing some repentance from his actions in chapter 27. Remember in chapter 27, Isaac's sin is that he's stubbornly insisting on blessing Esau, favoring Esau, and making Esau the next patriarch, even though God has clearly said it's to be Jacob. But Isaac favors Esau, and he's been stubbornly uh, uh, resisting God's, God's will. But now, chapter 28 opens... 
he's humbled himself before the Lord again. Um, and he's now showing his commitment to the covenant again. Remember, Abraham did this same thing, right? He, uh, he made sure the covenant was preserved. He made sure it was passed on to the next generation. He made sure Isaac, his son, found a godly wife uh, that, would, uh, that would help him uh, with this as well. So now Isaac is stepping up to the plate by the grace of God, doing what his father did before him, ensuring that his son uh, is going to find a godly wife uh, that the, the covenant can continue on. And so he commands Jacob to go to this place where Rebekah was from, Paddan Aram, and take a wife from the daughters of Laban, his mother's, uh, Jacob's mother's brother there. So Isaac is doing what's necessary. He's doing his duty before God. He's doing what it takes to preserve the covenant line to make sure that it, that it continues. It's not what he wants to do, necessarily, but it is, he's setting that aside. He's, he's doing the Lord's will above his own desires and doing whatever it takes to preserve the covenant. Now, loved ones, notice, um, notice what this teaches us about God's sovereignty on the one hand and, and human responsibility on the other. We, we open this, uh, the, the text tonight by saying it all depends on God and his grace, God and his power. Um, but here we're seeing his power working through means. He's working obedience by his power in, in Isaac so that Isaac is going to do his duty. One of the means by which God preserves his covenant his people and his promise is through enabling his people to be faithful and obedient to their God-given duty. And so we see here in Isaac an example to us of what our duty is in preserving and passing on uh, uh, the, the, the faith. Um, you and I are called by God to pray and work and give up our own desires sometimes in order to see God's people built up and the faith passed on to the next generation. This is critical for us. It's crucial. We cannot let the education in Christ and in the faith of the next generation be an afterthought in our lives and in our church. Um, God, God, uh, God, God does not want us doing this haphazardly. He passes on uh, the, the, the faith from generation to generation. He works through generations. And if we fail in our duty to the next generation, then they're going to suffer for it. Um, this, is why, uh, this is why Sunday school is a vital ministry. Youth groups are vital ministry. Family worship is a vital ministry. Uh, Christian education in all these ways is a vital ministry vital ministry, teaching our children the Word of God, the grace of God, the promises of God, teaching them the catechism and the wonderful truths that it summarizes from God's Word there. I was reading this afternoon uh, uh, the, the, the little children's, the little kids' catechism uh, that we've got copies of in the back um, that our children are working through right now. Uh, I know some of yours as well. Um, it was written back in 1840. And uh, there was an introduction that went with it. And I was reading this introduction this afternoon. It says, it says this about our responsibility to pass on the faith to our children. It says, um, you have an awfully responsible office in being entrusted with the training of immortal spirits for the service of God on earth and for glory in heaven. The temporal war- welfare and the eternal salvation, not only of your own children, but of future generations, may depend on your faithfulness in the discharge of this duty. The prosperity and even the continuance of the church of God on earth are connected with the religious education of the rising generation. Our book of church order, uh, which 
summarizes uh, what, what a pastor is to do uh, for the OPC. It says in it, it includes in it a little note about catechizing the children, training the youth and the children in godliness. This is our duty, all of us, before, before the Lord. Um, this is why when we uh, have a baptism up here, we all take a vow to, to, to raise our children and to help the parents raise the children together in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. This is our duty to pass on the faith. And this is what we see um, Isaac, Isaac doing. But he not only acts to preserve the covenant here, he also depends entirely on the Lord. Um, he's not depending on his own strength. He's depending on the grace of God. He doesn't just command Jacob to obey. Um, he, 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 uh, he blesses Jacob with the word of God. He's calling for God to bless him by his grace. We see this in verses, verses 3 through 4 as Isaac gives Jacob the blessing that God gave Abraham and which God also gave to him. Look with me at the blessing that, that he gives him, if you would now, in verses 3 and 4 here. Three things I want to draw out about this blessing that, Abraham, that Isaac gives to, to, uh, to his son. First all of all is Isaac's hope in God Almighty. Right? This, is, this is how he starts. He starts with this name, uh, God, God Almighty. He's, uh, this is the name that God gives to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, where God is cutting a covenant with Abraham, giving him the sign of the covenant there in, in Genesis 17. And uh, This is now the name that Isaac uses as he blesses his son Jacob. What does what God Almighty tell us about him, about God? Tells him that the covenant goes forward because of his power, right? His strength, his everlasting arms holding us up, uh, uh, strengthening us. It's a title that points to God as the great creator, the one who spoke everything into existence by his infinite power. And it's the title that refers to God also as the all-powerful one who redeems and saves, saves his, his people. What other being could save sinners? And, and, and cause them to persevere. What other person could make such promises, right? God Almighty is the only one who can save us and sustain us as well. And as I was considering this title, God Almighty, and, and the, the power of God at work in salvation and in the covenant, uh, we see this. Where do, where do we see this manifested most clearly? Isn't it in our Lord Jesus? As God raises him from the dead. God Almighty, His power at work, raising Him. And then, and then we read these words in Ephesians 1, 19 through 20. Uh, talks, it says, What is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ, when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places? The power at work in you is the power of God Almighty by which He raised Jesus from the dead. That will sustain you. That will keep you and your family and your church. That, that, that power of God. This is what Isaac is impressing on Jacob. He's saying, may God Almighty be the one who blesses and sustains and guards and keeps you. Second thing about this blessing. Uh, it's, rooted in, it's rooted in creation. This blessing is rooted in the language of Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, where God commands Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply. 
This is God's original design, right? And he, he makes man and woman to bear his image and then to reproduce that image and spread worshipers throughout the world. Um, it's a command to Adam and Eve. But now here we are. God is creating a new humanity, right? A redeemed humanity. Um, and it's not a command this time. It's a promise that God himself is going to do this. May, may God make you fruitful. May God make you multiply and, and be fruitful and, 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 and grow. And, right? this, is, uh, this, is, this is how God works in the covenant of grace now. He comes and he, he, he himself fulfills what he commands. Uh, he is the one who gives growth and gives increase. We see this also fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who is, who is the great and fruitful one, the one who uh, comes. He's the true people of God embodied. He keeps God's law. He, uh, he, uh, he's, he's, he's the true Israel. And then, he, and then he pours out his spirit and he has many sons, uh, bringing many sons to glory. God is the one fulfilling this promise of the gospel going out to the nations. And then the third thing about this blessing we see here, is that it reaches forward. It has its roots in creation. It has its top branches in heaven. Um, we see this. Uh, he says, Abraham, Isaac says to his son Jacob, may God himself bring you back into the good land. He's confident that God is going to bring Jacob back to the promised land. And not just back to this earthly promised land, but back to the heavenly one. So this is Isaac's blessing. This is his prayer. This is what he wants God to do. It's what he's confident God will do. But it's, it's more than a prayer. It's him, he is speaking on behalf of God, blessing Jacob in this way. Almighty God will do these things. Jacob responds well. Um, this is probably the first time we've seen Jacob respond well. Uh, he, uh, he, he obeys his parents. He bids farewell to his family. He leaves and he goes, he's taking the same route, retracing Abraham's steps into the promised land. Now he's going back out, confident that God will one day bring him back. And this simple act of obedience we see in Jacob here, I think, demonstrates that at some level, the grace of, the grace of God is working in his heart. And he's starting to show repentance and faith. Um, and after we get that, the text then uh, has this little bit about Esau. And I think it's setting up a contrast here between Jacob and Esau that's starting to widen, right? Jacob is taking a small step forward in obedience, but we see Esau uh, not doing the same. Esau goes from error to error here. Um, he, uh, uh, he, he sees that his parents, they're, they're, they're saying, Jacob, you need to go away to get a wife. Don't have Canaanite wives, wives who don't love the Lord and fear the Lord. Um, and, and Esau realizes he's already married Canaanite wives. Uh, this is at the end of chapter 27. Um, and, and he realizes that it's driving his parents crazy that he married these, these women. Um, but in, instead, of, uh, instead of repentance, instead of, instead of wholehearted faith and obedience, he takes a half measure. He says, well, well I'll try to please my, my parents by going and, uh, by going and uh, getting, getting one of Ishmael's descendants for a wife. Uh, but Ishmael's not in the covenant. Uh, Ishmael's descendants are not faithful to the Lord. And so Esau's half-hearted attempt at obedience is, is, uh, is falling far, far short. I think we're getting these, these, these contrasts here, these, these two accounts back-to-back. We've got Isaac's commitment to preserve the covenant as well as Jacob's step in the right direction of obedience. And on the other hand, 
Esau's half-hearted and misdirected efforts. And we're being called to examine ourselves. Which one are we? Are we working to preserve the covenant? Are we, are we taking the steps of obedience that need to be taken? Or is it half-hearted and misdirected? But even as we think about that, loved ones, God brings our attention to himself. In the very next section of the passage here, we see God pouring out blessing on Jacob. Uh, this is our next, our next heading, pouring out blessing, verses 10 through 15. The narrator brings our attention back to Jacob, and we're going to stay with Jacob now for a while. Um, uh, we're following Jacob. He's, he's heading towards Haran. He, he's traveling on this route. Um, uh, it gets dark. He finds a place to lie down, and as he sleeps, he dreams. Um, and it's an unusual dream. It's not a. It's not. It's not a. It's not a normal phenomenon of, of a dream. This is. This is a revelation that God is imparting to him. Um, two. Two parts to this. This, this vision that he has. The first part of this dream is the image of this stairway that goes from earth all the way up to heaven with the angels of God ascending and, and descending, descending on it. It's a vivid picture. Uh, uh, what, what's this vision about, uh, this, this stairway to heaven? Um, well, first I think that it's, a, it's, it's showing us that, uh, that the, 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 the top of the stairway is in heaven and it's, and it's telling Jacob that the, the great goal of this covenant, what God is doing in his life, is to bring him into fellowship with himself. That, uh, that, 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 that God's, this, is, this is God's goal in the covenant. It's, it's to bring Jacob to himself, to, 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 to fellowship with him. Uh, not, not on earth, but in heaven. Not back to an Eden, but, but to heaven itself. Second thing the, the vision is teaching us, the top of the stairways in heaven the bottom is on earth, in the promised land. Um, it's telling Jacob that this earthly promised land that he's in is a picture of the heavenly one. That uh, uh, Jacob is going to, as he wakes up from this dream, he's going to uh, call this place Bethel. It means the house of God. Recognizing this very fact. This is the land that God has chosen to be the type of, of, of the heavenly promised land that is above Third thing to notice here is that God is the one who sets up the stairway. Um, this is not an image of man's efforts to reach paradise, uh, no matter what Led Zeppelin says. All right, this, this, this stairway to heaven is, uh, this is God's work. Uh, God has set up this stairway. He's showing Jacob this profound truth that, that God is the one who opens heaven. God opens paradise to man, and God is the one who makes the way by his grace. Uh, in, into, into paradise. Uh, Jesus himself points this out, doesn't he? We read this earlier, John chapter 1, 51. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, I'm the stairway to heaven. I, I'm the one, the way to God, the way into the presence of God, the way into God's glorious heavenly dwelling. Uh, we read this as well in uh, John chapter 14 where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. He's lifted up on the cross between heaven and earth as the one who is the one who brings us into glory. This is what we see here in this, in this dream. And then we see, uh, we see God himself appear and we hear God himself speak as he continues to bless Jacob. Uh, God, God is taking the blessing that Isaac spoke 
to him. And now God is taking up and he himself is speaking a blessing to Jacob. He's confirming him he's, uh, in this blessing. He's reassuring him of, of the promises that, that he has heard. Uh, this seems to be the first time God himself is directly speaking to Jacob. Um, God comes and speaks. What, what might we expect him to say to Jacob? Perhaps a reprimand for how he's just behaved? Uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps a rebuke, perhaps a call to repentance, call to faith? Um, all good things, right? We read of those things otherwhere, uh, other places in the Bible. Um, repentance and, and faith and all the rest. But, but there's none of that here. It's astounding. God comes and he just speaks this word of promise. He gives a promise and another promise and another promise. He pours out his grace and his blessing on Jacob. Love without condition. This is without reference to anything in Jacob. This blessing to him. God starts with himself here. He says, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. He's reminding Jacob who he is. Um, This is the way a covenant treaty in the ancient world would begin, identifying the greater party in the covenant agreement. God is pointing Jacob to his steadfast love and faithfulness as the covenant God. And then he goes on to make these promises. Uh, The promises of the covenant, these central promises, we've seen them throughout with Abraham and with Isaac and now with Jacob. The promise of a holy holy land and and a holy holy people, a holy place and a holy people. He's going to give his descendants this land. He's going to fill it with uh, a people for his own possession. And he's going to, uh, through them, give to the whole world the blessings of salvation. And then, uh, then the Lord promises Jacob that he will be with him. Uh, listen to these wonderful words at the end of this blessing. He says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done what I have spoken to you. Think of where Jacob's at. Right? He's leaving the promised land. Uh, he's leaving his family. He's leaving everything he's known going to a place that he does not know. And uh, his faith has not been strong, right? His faith has been weak. He's just sinned greatly. He's just torn apart his family by his behavior. Um, He probably has some anxiety that he's actually going to find a a wife who will be faithful to the covenant. Uh, Some anxiety that he'll never actually make it back to the promised land. Um, His enemies might get the better of him. Esau might come after him. His own sin might get the better of him. Um, but then God comes. I'll be with you. Right? That promise to him. God is saying, I will do it. I'll make sure. I'll be with you. I'll protect you. I'll bring you back. I'll make sure every word comes true. Jacob's, um, Jacob's fears are familiar to us. Right? These anxieties about uh, the difficulties of living a faithful life in this, in this world. How can we endure? How can our families continue in the faith and our church continue in the faith? The answer is God's promise to us. Loved ones, um, the promise that God makes to Jacob in these verses is the same promise he makes to you and me as well. We are in a different administration of the covenant, but it's the same covenant of grace. And the promises in substance are the same. Let me put God's words here to Jacob in terms of the new covenant. This is his promise, loved ones. This is his promise to you. Um, The Lord says to you, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, and the God and father of your Lord Jesus Christ. 
And you have the down payment of the heavenly promised land. And I promise you, I will give you the heavenly promised land in full. Uh, You shall be part of my new creation and my new humanity in Jesus Christ, you and your children after you, more numerous than the dust of the earth and the stars of heaven. I have brought blessing to the whole world through Jesus Christ. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you at last home to glory. For I will not leave you until I've done what I've spoken to you in Jesus Christ. That is God's blessing to you, brothers and sisters. His grace has preserved this covenant all through history. And it's not going to fail you, loved ones. How do we respond then to His grace? That's what we see next in verses 16 to 22. Promising faithfulness. Promising faithfulness. The grace of God comes to Jacob. He hasn't earned it. He hasn't obeyed, and now he's being blessed. The grace of God just comes to him, and so it comes to us. But it doesn't leave us unchanged. It produces a response. And that response is is trust. Taking God at his word, laying hold of the promise, and walking in obedience uh, in, in light of it. And Jacob does this. He wakes up, and he worships. He sets up this memorial, this stone, as a reminder of what God has done. He, he uh, names this place Bethel, the house of God, and then he makes this vow. And in the vow, the first thing he does is lay hold of God's promise. The Lord has promised to be with him, and so he lays hold of that promise, and he's going to not let go of that promise. And it's this promise that he's depending on. It's this God he's depending on as he goes forward, and it's this promise that will carry him through all the difficulties that are ahead of him. And then he promises that for himself, even as God has promised to be faithful to him, he will be faithful in response. God will be his God. No idols. God alone he'll worship. God alone he'll serve. In light of God's mercies, he's going to give himself to the Lord in loyalty and obedience, including giving a tenth of all that he has as tribute to the Lord. This is how we receive the gospel, isn't it? We trust and we walk in faith and obedience and response. We, we receive the mercies of God, which we didn't earn. And we say, now, Lord, I'll, now, now I'll follow you. And, and I promise I'll, I'll, I'll buy your grace. I'll hold fast to your word. And I'll give to you all that I have. I'll give to you all that I am. So, loved ones, let me encourage you. Let me, let me, let me uh, call you to this kind of faith and obedience to the Lord. Uh, lay hold of the promises. Uh, as you look ahead, what lies ahead for you? It's the promise of God, the presence of God that will carry you through. So know His promise. Love His promise. Get His promise in your heart. And then vow obedience. Promise Him faithfulness. Independence on Him. Trusting that He will be with you. He is faithful. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the grace uh, that is so clear in Your Word. Thank You for Your Gospel and what you've done in Jesus Christ for us. Lord, we pray that you would fill our hearts with gratitude, fill our hearts with trust, fill us with obedience. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.